Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Creatives Ignite. Last time I had Jason on was in 2020, but we met in 2013. He was on in 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2020. It's been way too long. He is a brother from another mother for sure. And I love Jason Carr. And I remember watching his videos way back when, and you were like, I'm a crafts person. I was like, buddy, you're an artist. And then we were just fast friends. And we were just talking about, we had our first Creative South together. We uh, did Derek Castle's workshop. Um, we, uh, Jason got a little bloody. Um, I had Band-Aids, so we were good. But we, he loves to do things with hands. If you love vintage, if you love nostalgia, you love antiques, or antiquing and you love typography from that, Jason is your man. He has done a ton in packaging, branding um, across the board, but totally somebody who I have just admired for his skill. But also he's he has spread his, has different income streams. He has lettering library. You have stuff that you've done with Dustin. You've made your own fonts, lots of awesome vintage style fonts. So and Amy Lyons in Raleigh says she loves Jason's work. We know. So Jason, give us a little bit of update just in case somebody hadn't seen anything. Tell them who you are, what you do and where you live. And that, that, that'll be good for number one. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. Very nice introduction. And it has been too long, but it's good to talk to you again. Good to see you. Um, I'm Jason Karn. I live in Salisbury, Pennsylvania. It's a small town in the northeast of Pennsylvania near Stroudsburg, Allentown, a couple little cities up here. Um, and yes, I specialize in lettering and typography and I do graphic design. Um, and I try to lean into the packaging and print design world mostly these days. That's where my focus is. But you have in the past made fonts. You have. Oh, yeah. Yep. Still doing that. I actually just wrapped one uh, last week, which was the first time I've ever done a work trade for one. I, I bartered with an illustrator from Vermont who does these very technical engravings. And he uh, did a really beautiful engraving of our house, which I'm going to use as the big hero image on my website when I relaunch that in a week or two. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Okay. So make fonts you've, and you've had, um, Traditionally, when we met back in 2013, you were doing everything by hand. You would use the computer, obviously, mm -hmm. but how are things different now? And I know this wasn't our, on our questions. And really, Jason was supposed to be back in March, but because of everything with my mom, he we pushed him off. So finally, Jason's back. So I'm super thankful that you um, got to be on this. Anyway, so thank you for the long uh, pause that we had to have. But so what? Um, it, what does a normal process look like for you and how much do you still do by hand? I still do quite a bit by hand. Every project starts by hand, at least in the, the pencil phase. I always want to sketch out anything I do, uh, before moving to the computer. I'm just most comfortable with doing that. Um, but whereas I used to refine it really tight with my pencil sketches and then, you know, put tracing paper over it and ink it and scan it in and, you know, separated layer by layer that way. It was very time consuming. And a lot of the time in that era, I was dealing with mostly raster graphics. I hadn't quite gotten a handle on the vector graphics programs like Illustrator yet. Um, so what I was doing then was mostly single use designs. So say like a t-shirt for a band. Um, so it only had to be a certain size. It never needed to be reproduced huge or right. blown up for a banner or billboard. So the raster graphics wasn't an issue then. Um, but as I progressed and I got more into branding and logos, it kind of became a necessity to learn illustrator. Um, and as I've gotten a better eye for lettering and understood my own process a bit better, um, I can work with a looser and looser sketch to get the idea onto the computer quicker. And in my mind, I kind of see exactly what I want to do with these letters. Um, so I can kind of jump straight into the, the vector phase of things a lot faster these days. So I love that because it takes time. You have to understand your process. You have to understand what the refinement is. And I love that you use the tool that you're most comfortable with, but it does get you. It's like, um, 
when you go to the grocery store, if you go to the same grocery store and you know what your list is and you have your list in the order of which aisles you're going to go, you know, you don't have to go down aisle three. You don't they don't sell anything you want on aisle three. You get to skip it. But if you're at a new grocery store, you have to literally go up and down because you're just trying to find something. I know it's a weird analogy, but tell, stay with me. I no, it makes sense. That, I think that as we are learning and as we are refining a style or a process that we have to keep doing it. We have to keep going down all the aisles until we've found everything we need until we know. And then now you have this shortened list. You know what you're looking for because you know how to make it. And now you know how to make it. And so in Illustrator, how what was that like? Was that a big challenge of going from not being as comfortable with illustrator to having to learn it like when did that happen in your career like from 2013 to today what when when was the big jump where you had to really like hey i gotta learn this uh it was actually right around 2015 is where i started diving into it i there was a point in my career where i would literally hire out for vector work because i had such a hard time doing it Something that I could do in Photoshop in like an hour would maybe take me 10 hours in Illustrator just because I had no understanding of how the tools worked. Everything felt backwards. Everything that was one way in Photoshop had a completely different command in Illustrator. So it took quite a bit of time to get comfortable with it. Um, and because I was so uncomfortable with it, I kept giving up on it and defaulting back to the one that I was already comfortable with. Um, but in 2015, I had to, uh, well, I didn't have to, but I felt compelled to design my wedding invites in Illustrator to force myself to learn how to do it. And it was a very ornate, intricate design. I so remember. So I was kind of throwing myself in at the deep end. Um, it was it was required because it was going to be letter pressed and foiled and it had to be vector graphics. So I was like, okay, I really need to buckle down and learn it. And once I did, um, it took me maybe three months from then to start incorporating it into my daily workflow. So, so it, it kind of came on a little, little quick there. So I like that you um, gave yourself a, a, a self-initiated project and a challenge. It was time-based because you knew when you were mm -hmm. getting married, right? You know, they had to have the invitations at a certain time. So I like that also. What did you do to learn? Like, did you watch just a whole bunch of YouTubes? Just you, did you get in there and just practice or did you do LinkedIn learning or did you take an Illustrator course? Um, It was a little from each column there. Like most of it was probably online tutorials, watching videos either on YouTube or like lynda.com or Skillshare, things like that. Um, and then a lot of it was just trial and error, like some tools that I just stumbled across, like the blend tool or the width tool by accident. And I was like, oh, I could use this to modify stroke widths in my lettering and automate that and make it nice and uh, simple instead of having to do it manually or by eye every time you could have this exact precise calculated stroke width everywhere. And I was like, yeah, that's a real game changer. So that was big at the time. So Jen asked, um, do you do? Ella, do you have to relearn with Illustrator as Illustrator changes, or do you pretty stay constant with the tools that you use? So she's saying like the pen tool. I'm not sure if you use the pen tool the most, but. Oh, yeah, that's probably the, the most used tool in Illustrator for sure. Um, I forget who I first learned it from, but they were saying when you're drawing letters to put your your nodes on the extremes of every point of the letter, don't try to, you know, make 10 of them around a curve and just keep your your handles and your angles at 90 degrees. And that was uh, really eye-opening for me. And it works no matter what letter style it is, whether it's a sans or a script or a black letter, like you can make it work like that and makes the um, all your strokes and your designs very consistent. Um, but yeah, pen tool I'm most comfortable with. I don't really mess with the, the shape builder thing that I see a lot of people using now where you can kind of subtract elements or do the, the intertwine thing, which is another new one where you can weave stuff over and under. That looks like a cool tool. I'm going to have to dig into that at some point and learn it. But, um, but yeah, mostly what I use is the, uh, the pen tool and illustrator above all else. Um, all of my coloring and uh, textures and designs, that's still Photoshop. If I need to make something rough for, you know, so I, I have a hard time texturing an illustrator. Well, one thing I remember you and maybe this was in 2020. It might. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know. Could have been. I'm looking at the episodes and I'm like, I don't know. 
know which one this one was, but um, it was where you had started using that 3D tool, the mock-up tool in, you taught yourself that oh, in yep. Adobe. I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, Dimension, mostly, yeah. D Adobe Dimension. Is it still mm -hmm. even around? I'm not sure. Honestly, that was the one and only time I ended up using it. But I thought I'd use it, it a lot more. I know. And it was amazing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really tempted to, but I, it does take time to out of a busy schedule of trying to, you know, um, oh, Rhonda Levy says it was being, it's being replaced by Adobe stager. So that's great. Uh, great okay. to know. Thanks Rhonda. Um, but it's like, because some of the things that you're doing for a client maybe don't exist right yet, that you have the bottle idea, but you need to show them what the package is going to look like on that type of bottle, or you're trying to pitch them on this type of bottle instead of another bottle or something, just how the label would work or something. Um, and But how long, like how often are you teaching yourself? Like when you're saying, hey, I'm going to the intertwine, like when when is a good time to learn? Like, is it something you have to plan in or you see, hey, I'm a little bit slower. I'm going to make sure. Or do you do you just say, hey, uh, the week of July 17th, I'm learning, you know, this new thing, intertwine. I mostly do it on personal projects because I'd rather not waste time on a client or commission project where I know I have a set amount of hours to do this and I'm being paid to do it. Like, I don't kind of want to experiment on their dime. Um so like if I'm doing something for myself, I don't care if it takes all day because nobody's keeping track of time but me. Um, but I uh, I don't, I wouldn't say I learn stuff very often anymore. I'm pretty comfortable in my skill set and like everything that I do is, is kind of the same stuff I get hired for over and over. So there hasn't been a lot of demand for me to grow beyond that. Um, and I think that some of these new programs, like the stuff that uh, Photoshop beta is doing with the AI is kind of going to completely replace stuff like Dimension and Stager. I've seen that they already have this mock-up feature where you can change lighting and angles and put stuff on bar tops if it's a, it's a liquor or spirit. So something like that, I feel like is going to totally replace that whole area yeah. very soon. So I almost feel like it's not even worth learning it anymore at this point. And, uh, and mock-ups are so good at this point that you almost don't need 3D when it's like that early stage and you're just trying to show an idea. I mean, it, it would be really nice at the end if you could get a 3D artist to do renders or get real photography, but uh, the mock-ups do a pretty good job of holding you over now. Places like Yellow Images have very photorealistic mock-ups um, for relatively good prices. And some yeah. of them are even uh, three-dimensional, so you could spin them, rotate them, animate them. So, so is that nice. like something that you have a subscription to that you, that's something because of how much work you do, you just will buy a subscription to yellow images or something else that would have a really good mock-up. That would be a good business um, investment, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it pays to subscribe to it if you're going to get a lot of stuff uh, because I think their images are typically 12 to $15 for a mock-up individually if you're not a member. But when you sign up for them they go down to like two or three bucks so if you just want to subscribe for a month buy a ton of them and unsubscribe you can do that too <laughs> yeah. I, i've done that in the past sometimes you get a couple freebies when you resubscribe so if you just think of like a little one-off project like oh i wonder what this design would look like on a, a matchbook or a coaster or something and you could go there and grab a few and then then you're out i always think it's it's fun to learn what are those little tips that we do um, because I think we're all trying to be thrifty. I know I just say I'm playing that yeah. cheap. You know, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to hunt and see if I can just get this some other way. But I've used Envato a lot because they have mock-ups yeah. and I've used design cuts. But the it is nice to get like a huge pack of them and then have to kind of go through. But I do like ones where I can kind of build the scene on my own. But I also realize, hey, I don't really want to build a scene every time. This takes a lot. If I had somebody and I was doing it a lot, I could just say, hey, put it in this scene. Give me that scene. Although it seems really inviting to buy that, which I did, of course, it now is like, oh, now I've got to figure out how to use this sucker. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the staging and composing of like promotional imagery usually takes a lot longer than I would like to admit. 
Like when I make a font, honestly, that's the hardest part is doing all the promo materials for it. Because at the end of it, you have to come up with all these use cases and scenarios and how would this look like on a record or a sign or on a window? And a lot of extra goes into that because I can't just ever let myself just type text on a white background and call it <laughs> like most sane font designers would do. I, I totally agree. And I, I, I do. Rhonda said it. Um, it's really important to keep up with the education because things are going at such a rate and AI will be a game changer. I agree with her on that. And then Jen asked, I hate asking this, but do you see type design getting replaced by AI? Jason. Eventually it might, you know, I, I don't think that it's immune to it right now. It doesn't really do a good job on recreating letters. It's having a hard time. Just like, you know, all the images that went around of people having like 10 fingers on hands, like the type is just as bad at the moment, but I'm sure that will change quickly. We saw how quickly um, it managed to go from making these really weird non-human faces to indistinguishable from being fake in a matter of like six months. So I'm sure it's coming. Um, actually, the the first Creative South we went to, I don't remember who gave the presentation, but somebody was talking about a new tool that Adobe was making at the time, which um, was for type design. You could start with a base alphabet and then it had all these sliders with weight, serifs, and you can pump out a whole new font in literally seconds. And that was 10 years ago. Um, I don't know if they killed the project or if they're waiting to release it eventually, but um, there probably are tools that are coming that might make us semi-obsolete. But I'm hoping that that's only in um, like the text type or more, uh, I guess, like simplistic looking Body typefaces. Mm -hmm, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the display realm, we probably have a longer shelf life still because it's so custom and so... Uh, different from typical letter forms. I think we might be a little bit more insulated from it, but I don't think it's going to be for forever. Yeah. I think there's a lot in type. There's a lot of stuff that are, you can teach um, a computer, but it's the nuances that they can't tell. Hey, this looks weird. Just this looks weird. Like you can't have it like that. Maybe we can't explain it, but we wouldn't have the eye of that E look like that, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. and really the eye of an E is the only thing on a, in an alphabet that is like the eye of an E, you know? And so there are yep. other things. There's so many that I think, um, especially for display. Um, but I also think there's just so many rules. If you're using, um, I don't know. I think I think we're I think we are okay. I think type designers, I think I still think pirating is probably the worst thing that you have to deal with because people still mm -hmm. use your fonts, they don't pay for them, they get it from somebody else and they think it's okay. I know that stuff happens happens all the time. Okay, so I'm going back. Um last time we talked was in 2020. How has your life and business changed since then? So this is like, um, when was that? And it was in February. So right before the pandemic, how has life yeah. and business changed? And what was it like during the pandemic for you? Uh, surprisingly, I probably got more work during the pandemic than before it. Um, but I think there was a reason for that. I think because so many people were out of work or out of the office that these agencies and companies were looking to go uh, with remote workers um, because it was really the only option that they had at the time. And I think once everybody kind of realized that our jobs can be done from home and we don't need to be in an office all the time, that uh, they preferred going with smaller companies or crews or you know, even individual freelancers, because they don't want to pay the exorbitant rates that some agencies may charge for having 30 people on a project when only five of them are really doing the work. So I think it, it's just more um, financially simple for them to go with somebody like me over a big agency. And uh, I've maintained a pretty good workload since then. Um, I'm experiencing a little bit of a drought right now, which is the first time this year, but uh I'm hoping there's a couple projects on the horizon that I'm hoping kind of pick up in early July. Well, and sometimes summer is December and December 
it, depending on the industry that you work in can be more drought like, but, and you've gone through droughts in the past. We all have. It's mm-hmm. if somebody tells somebody who is freelancing, oh, it's just great. You're going to be busy all the time. They're just lying, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> and because if you are incredibly busy, which we talked about in another episode, it was, um, you you have to keep marketing. So I love that you're relaunching your website. You've redesigned it and you're in this slower time. You are now working on those things. That's marketing yourself and doing some of those things. What what else has ha- helped when one to free, not freak out that it's not the end, that it's going to come back and you just have to connect, connect with people or what else has ha- helped? Yeah, definitely tap into your network if you need. You know, there's you could always email past clients, see if they need something new. You could reach out to to friends or people that are in the position to hire you at places like art buyers, creative directors, producers, people that will throw your name down for some projects. Um, there's one agency that I got hooked up with. Um, it was probably in 2020. They're, they're called We Are Royale, and they do a lot of stuff with video games and movie titles and things like that. Um, Tobias, who runs Heritage Type, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with his stuff. He's the one who actually hooked me up with them. And um, since then, I've done maybe four or five different projects with them. And they were all kind of long-term, better-paying projects that would keep me going for a couple of weeks to a month at a time. So getting those long, long-term long projects where you could kind of collaborate with a bigger team have been pretty interesting and fun to work on because usually as a freelancer, we're isolated and just doing one thing. But to get to see how my lettering then goes to motion design and 3D and, and all these renders, it's, it's kind of cool to see how much nicer other people can take your work like to the next level with what they do. I love that. Okay. Uh, Dave Clayton's here. Hey, Dave. Um, he says, Jason, do you have a reliable system to track your typefaces that are being used commercially, but not licensed commercially? And he's parked. He was driving. <laughs> I do not. Um, I know that Chuck at Letterhead's fonts, uh, he designed some sort of proprietary software that he embeds into his fonts. So every time that you buy from him, like if you bought a font from him, it would say license to Diane Gibbs. And if you uploaded that on some freeware site where somebody could go download it, he would know that you did. <gasps> and it wouldn't be just some anonymous thing where, you know, somebody uploaded it. You don't know who did it. They would come back to you and he could then, you know, pursue legal, legal action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but that probably was expensive. Oh, can you say his name again? Jen Close asks. Uh, his name is Chuck. He runs letterhead fonts. Chuck Davis. Um But yeah, I don't know how to do that personally for myself. I've never really looked into it. I haven't seen it be enough of a problem where I felt the need to dedicate a large amount of time to it. I feel like it's going to happen no matter what. It's happened a lot with my lettering library books where I see the PDFs up for free here or there, and then I have to put up a DMCA claim and they'll take them down. But it's it's tough to keep track of that. It is. Um, Which is... Yeah, it's the same reason that I have a hard time doing licensing deals on any graphic design work too. Because if I say you can make 5,000 units of this design, how do I know if they made 10,000 or 15,000? I I just don't. Um, Same with like impressions. Like you just kind of have to trust them to be honest. Like if you have a web font or a font for broadcast and they're like, oh, it'll be 100,000 impressions. How do I know? I have no idea. You know, I just have to hope that they're being honest and that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think that that is, that's just, um, if it was, and one of the things with what you've done is you've really spread out. So everything isn't just in one bucket. You have some other things, but if everything was in one bucket, you would have to be pursuing that. You would have to be chasing that. Not, I mean, there are always going to be some bad people, but I love that you'll, kind of be like, hey, I think more it's better. There's more good than bad. And I don't have the time or the energy or the effort to um or you don't feel like you're getting, I don't know, um, stolen from enough that it you want it to take up that time. But I love that you still are doing new fonts, that you're still building new things. Um I 
I do think it's helpful to have multiple sources of income, but if you, if it is your only source, then it is really important that you do, maybe you do what Chuck Davis did. I think that that's helpful, but then you've got, somebody has to be policing it, right? So there's that that Mm -hmm. extra effort, which kind of just leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you just focus on that part. But so in 2020, when everybody, you still were going to vintage stores and always finding new things. Um, How did the pandemic change for you in that regard? Because were you like stuck at home and you couldn't go and do any of those things? Yeah, a lot of things were closed up here. Um, I mean, it mostly affected places like restaurants and medical buildings and stuff like that. There were still people that were open. Um, being in the very rural part of Pennsylvania, we had a, I don't need those damn masks. You know, like a lot of those people that just didn't care and they'd be open anyway. Um, so there were a couple spots that I hit. We found this one place on uh, Atlas Obscura. It was called Bill's Bike Barn up here. And the guy had a massive collection of it was a collection of collections he had everything you could think of this guy built a whole like small town in a warehouse with like fake buildings and one had like a million vintage radios one had every coke bottle ever made one had like every car emblem ever made and just going through that i just snapped like a million pictures that had inspiration for like a year just from that place it's like Oh, I'll just pull up my pictures from Bill's place and I, I know what that looks like now. But uh yeah, I, but the books, like you know, getting stuff for letting library, that basically stayed the same. Like I've always just got them from like eBay or Abe Books okay. and places like that because it's it's very rare I come across those in, in the real world. Like right. in, in yeah. So that's good to know. So some you're just doing online searches and then some but it's still fun to go and see. So I love that you're using some mm-hmm. of those things as your inspiration when you have. Um... And I'm buying a lot less. I don't know if you've noticed, but my <laughs> walls are a little full and I don't really have space for much new stuff anymore. So uh, most places I just take a picture of it now. <laughs> and that's yeah. good enough for me. Well, and I think that's part of what we all do in the beginning when we're mm-hmm. either getting into something we have there is some sort of a fill that we can get to. Um, somehow I still need art supplies, I guess. My husband's like, what? Mm-hmm. We got another order from Dig Blick, Diane? When will it- I haven't ordered anything this month, but um, probably some other time you I could, will. You got about three days left. You, you might be able to <laughs> get it in under the wire. Uh, I'll, I'll skip it. I'll just take June off. But I think some things are things that are things you have to replenish so yeah. um and then some is like you're going to that place and and a, vi- a photo or a video of that thing can do it for you and that has um stayed a long source of inspiration for you i think right doing some of that absolutely and, and junking and stuff so in regards to your business, one of the things I think we, I don't remember if we just talked about it when me and you met or if we talked about um, on a show, but you talked about that you were using a, because um, uh, one of the things that we had talked about a long time ago was just how how to keep marketing, like just continually when it is slow, you said, hey, reach out to your friends, old agencies, past clients. But sometimes um, I think you've kind of figured out one thing that works really good for you. Um, and maybe you can tell them if you don't know what I'm talking about, then I can give you more hints. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I need it in. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you started working with somebody and they were kind of pitching you more than you were pitching you. Is that, can you tell us about that? Or if that's not still what you're doing, then tell us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Still still doing that i am represented by uh my best friend shane styles who runs a company called adam smasher and it is a creative representation agency um we have a couple people on the roster now and we're adding a few uh in july he's also relaunching the website same time as me and we're gonna try to hit the ground running this summer and pick up a lot of new accounts and things like that um but yeah having an agent has been very valuable. I mean, he goes to bat for me for uh, for everything from 
you know, getting better prices, getting better payment terms, getting, uh, you know, your deadlines more realistic when they want something Monday, when they ask you Friday at five o'clock, it's like, no, we need, give us a couple of days. And he, he kind of fights for all that stuff for me and handles all the paperwork and the business end stuff, which I'm not really a, a fan of, and I'm not too great at. Uh, so just being able to delegate and having somebody take all that, uh, administrative stuff off my plate has been huge. So it allows you to focus on the creative. It allows you, and for many years, you were doing all those, um, making the contracts with the clients and you were doing all of that, um, heavy lifting. What was it that really was like, what did he say? What did Shane say to you? That was like, Hey man, why don't I do this for you? Like, what was it that changed your mind? Um, well, I was actually at a, another agency called Closer and Closer for a while with another friend of mine, Drew Melton, who I started the the Font Foundry with years ago, um, which was probably also around 2013, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a year or two after. Um, but his roster grew pretty big, pretty fast to the point where he had like 30 artists and he was spread really thin. And I was like, I don't really know if this is working for me. And like everybody had a much different style than me. It was very bright, colorful, editorial, and my kind of vintage Victorian looking stuff really stood out in like a weird way on the roster, I felt. So I was like, I think, you know, I might need to just go back solo, no hard feelings. You know, I'm still friends with Drew, you know, we we don't talk as often as we once did and everything, but he's doing well and he's a good guy. Um, but Shane just seemed like the right fit. He was like, you know, I, I think I could do this. He's like, we, I've done printing. I've done, you know, artist representation in the music world. He's like, I'm, I'm kind of already used to this. He's like, let's just see if we can make it happen. And, uh, it was a great move. It's been great for the last couple of years. All right. So do you want to show him some of the stuff that you pulled up while we were, um, in the pre show so that they can kind of see because you have you do amazing stuff every time you always have so many new amazing things and i think one of the things is do that shane is handling some of that stuff the marketing the all that admin stuff that you don't have to do you get to do the thing that you're really good at and that you're um just really gifted at so I, I just think that this is just an option for some of us uh, if this is something that we are interested in. Also, in the same way in licensing, that would be part of that contract that you had with Shane. If he was taking over, I don't think he does your fonts, but if that was part of what you decided to wrap him in, then he could handle, he could pursue those if he wanted to. You know, um, I, I think that maybe it's somebody's, I don't know, like that's their thing to go chase other people. And uh, if that is what it is anyway. Yeah. I mean, that helps, you know, having somebody take the burden of, you know, getting social posts and marketing and stuff done too. Like he also handles that. And we're looking into um, like these time-saving apps like, like Buffer to where we could just set aside a day and we can make 30, 40 posts and then we could just schedule them out and automate it which is pretty nice. Um, one of the the big challenges of the last few years, though, has definitely been the uh, complete throttling of your reach on social media. Like I have about 15,000 followers on Instagram and I get maybe 150 people seeing it. I mean, that's uh, 1%. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. It's, it's really, really bad how much that they, uh, they killed your reach on it. Um, every once in a while, you know, I'll get something that breaks into a, you know, couple hundred, you know, up to like 500, you know, but it's, it's really a real small fraction of, of your audience at this point. So I'm having a tougher time, you know, kind of putting stuff out there these days. Uh, I used to get a lot better engagement, you know, dribble used to be a lot more of an engaging platform than it is today. I think when they came on and monetized everything and, you know, made you pay to get on the front page and boost your posts like that kind of ruined the whole spirit of that mm. place um and then behance the stuff too it's kind of luck of the draw you know if some bigger accounts like your stuff and see your stuff it'll boost it up because then everybody sees what they liked but if they don't then you're kind of stuck you know regardless of the quality of work or anything like that so it's tricky marketing where else are you or is that something shane's doing he's really focusing on that courtney asked if you're using tiktok um and it's it is kind of like, okay, so for those of us who are still doing it on our own, 
where do we spend the time? And and really, if you're only getting 10% of your audience reach, then, or engaging, right? Um, maybe 1%. there's 1% engaging. Yeah. Maybe it's not a great use. Maybe it's not a platform that's a great use of your time. So you have to go to other um, avenues. Are you using anything else? No, I'm really not. Um, it's, it's basically just Instagram and Facebook right now. Um, TikTok, I'm still on the fence about. Like, I, I feel like at this point, I don't know if I missed the boat. You know, like, I don't know if it's reached its peak, its saturation point, and it's going to start coming back down the other way. And I just don't know if it's worth the effort to to dive into a new platform and rebuild your whole audience and everything like that. Um, one thing I've been considering is a newsletter and putting every email contact that I have on there and, you know, blasting it out that way. I feel like direct communication is doing a lot better these days than just kind of this indirect, you know, yelling into the void and hoping somebody sees what you do. Um but more than ever, I feel like your network is the most important tool at your disposal right now. Like, yeah, get, your, get good people around you that are doing good work, getting good projects and try to get yourself incorporated into those. That's good. Okay. So show us some stuff if you, if you can. Sure. Sure. So get this going. And I see Nick Farron is here and Nancy, if y'all. Um, it's good to see you. Um, and Rhonda agrees that newsletter emails are doing better than social media. So it's good to know. So and, here, I'll show you a couple packaging products that I've done semi-recently. Oh, so man, that is beautiful. This is, um, let me see if I open it with the preview tool, if I could like zoom in. I never really used this. We can't but, yeah, see the, preview. I think maybe uh, okay. you can do new share and then share the preview window if you want. Let's see. Uh, yeah. I, I think this would work too. Yeah, this is um, good. Did you do that yeah, this uh, illustration also? No, that one I got to collaborate with a guy named Bill Mayer, um, who's done covers for like Time Magazine and things like that. This guy does these beautiful paintings of animals that are uh, humanized. Yeah. So, so yeah, they wanted that. Uh, this is a Scotch whiskey for the company Orphan Barrel Whiskey Company. Um, mm. They basically go around to different distilleries all over the world, and they find uh, kind of like these forgotten barrels that are like in these rick houses, and they're like, we have like three barrels of this, and they're like, okay, we'll take it and bottle it as a super limited, exclusive release. And uh, they always do really cool packaging on them. Like uh, Kevin Cantrell did one a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Tom Lane might have done one a few years ago. Um, so they brought me on to collaborate with Bill, and I did all the typography on there. So I did the Muckety Muck logo type. I did That's the single beautiful. grain malt whiskey. Mm-hmm. The 24? Yep, yep. All that's me. And then like that little uh, gilded stamped bit at the bottom the from the Port Dundas distillery. Nice. It's all custom typography and ornament um i could actually go direct to that project to uh, show you a little little more close up i guess what the lettering looks like so this is oh, what wow all that lettering was um that i did for this so there's a lot of ornament a lot of uh fine line gilt um foiling in there mm -hmm. which was was fun to mess with and uh, they beautiful. did three different versions of this, actually. There's a 25-year and a 26-year. So they did- Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, they had like three barrels, I think. And so they did one for each year. They saved the others. And then uh, as it went on, actually, he added more pigs for each year. So there's one with two pigs, one with three pigs. I don't know if I have the photos of those, though. But That's um, okay. Was, That's awesome. Yeah. And this stuff went for like a lot of money. I think they were charging like $200 a bottle for this stuff. Nuts. Um, yeah, here's here's like the lineup. Of oh yeah. This. So they they always get some pretty amazing artists to, to collaborate on these. That, that foragers keep one to the right with the the ox is beautiful. I think I really love yeah. that. Yeah. It's it yeah, looks so like it was, one of those Scottish cows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those um, are great, Jason. Thank you. Glad you like them. 
Um, so so that, that's doing branding, but also packaging, right? Because Muckety is. Muck is that brand of that orphan um, bear. Orphan Barrel's the the primary brand, like Johnson and Johnson, but Band Aid, you know, is the brand. Yeah, of the it's product. like the make and model. Yeah, yeah. And so the Muckety Muck, uh, I mean, just the curves of those M's are beautiful. Um, did they? you know did they just show you what they had in the past or did they say hey here's what we want to do with this and you just said oh i mean do you usually give people multiple um options or type wise yes so oh. if you look here here's a couple of rough sketches that i did over um over bill's painting mm -hmm. so we had a couple different options to start with at first um I was personally leaning towards the one on uh, the left at first, um, but they really liked the script. They felt like it was kind of uh, the right match for the time period. And uh, it ended up looking really nice at the end that I think they chose right. Um, yeah. It's, it's always nice when you have a client that you can really trust that, oh, here's, here's the image of all three. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. know if I had it. Yes. Oh, that's so, great. So they actually didn't know that they were going to do this at first. They thought it was going to be a one-off. Um, so they came back to me later to design a full set of numbers in case, you know, it was drawn out for years, you right. know. So I did zero through nine for that area in the bottom right and ornaments oh, nice. that would match and fit it. Yeah. I don't know why they kind of like stretched and changed the proof in the milliliter, though, as it went on. I just realized that. But oh, I, yeah. Maybe that's just a mistake. It might have been a legal thing too. There's all oh. these little stipulations on packaging, like type must be at least this many millimeters high. Or yes, you know. yes. But that's so it cool. could have been a thing that changed. But I love that you instead of just branding, this is where you're really using your unique superpower of understanding type, understanding that vintage, and then being able to create a face that or. It, even if it's just those zero through nine, those digits, because you understand typography um, and making of a font um, that maybe somebody else wouldn't have the finesse that you would have. So I really like that. And then you sent me one of these um, and I shared this on the one of the stories, I think. Yeah. Uh, just speaking of that, I wanted to show you this thing. Okay, so this was that font that I was just telling you about. That was a work trade that I just finished yes. up. Yeah. So my friend Calvin had found this cigar box in Brattleboro, Vermont, where he's from. And he really liked that Humber lettering. Mm -hmm. um, so he wanted a, a complete font out of it. So mm -hmm. what I did was I built A through Z then based off of that. And then the numbers, the punctuation, all the special characters, and then decided to add a fancy uppercase version to give you an effect like like this, which right. is where it ended up in the final, to where you have the, the large cap and then small caps mm -hmm. and uh, all these kind of flat top and bottom, even like the round letters get those spurs and everything mm -hmm. like that. But it was just, uh, but it all started from this. I had six letters to work with and you just kind of have to figure out what the rest of the alphabet looks like just through the context clues hidden in the, the type that you have here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I also just love, because even in that piece of imagery that you're getting when you go out and you're doing your antiquing, you're seeing these images of the other parts of that, like the flourishes and those little circle things. Like, um, it it's like you're seeing, cause you used a lot of that in, in, um, maybe the other packaging, um, uh, because uh well or the th thing that was black that had the single age scotch whiskey where you showed us because you oh, were, yeah. it's like you i mean it wasn't exactly like the other thing but you're pulling from these old pieces of um inspiration and then you're making it your own are you doing that mostly in the computer or again is this sort of you do a quick sketch where you even are showing where or how some of those forms are coming together um yeah most of it is still sketched by hand first like i'll probably look at reference for a little while to see like say if i'm doing something that's like an art nouveau project you know i'll, I'll dig through books that were of that era you know stuff from like 1900 1910 
and kind of see what they were doing to the corners or the frames or these order details and just try to have um, that style in my head, but not reference it directly or right. copy over it. Cause I wanted to like evoke that feeling, but I don't want it to be just a, a one-to-one copy of something. Um, like I'll show you this one font that I did a couple years ago now. Um, it was the only font I ever did that I'd call like a, a revival font. Um, it's called Death Spell. Mm-hmm. And there was a an old German type book that I had that had a font called uh, Hollenholzen or, or something like that. And it was uh, close to this, but a couple of letters looked really wacky. Like the Z was real ugly. The H was very strange. Um, so I thought I just needed to like update certain bits of it. And it kind of had this nouveau and black letter feel at the same time. So I created this custom border that went around it for one of the marketing materials. And uh, I actually uh, got the attention of the, the what, what what's their name? I'm totally space ephemera fonts um, oh, uh-huh. with this one who do probably the most incredible type in this realm that that's on the internet right now. And uh, they asked me to actually sell this one on their platform. So uh, that's that's another revenue stream where I get a little bit every month from that, you know, depending yeah. on, on what sells. But um, yeah, well, and I think sometimes doing something like that, those partnerships allow you to not have to do that marketing on your own. It allows you to do the things. I, I think that if we're struggling in some ways, instead of trying to learn all these things, it's great to get with the people who actually are already doing it like at ephemera fonts or at another um, place that sells a lot of fonts then they can kind of market it for you yes they're going to take a piece of it but um it's just one income one part of your income stream which i think uh uh dave says you're the type whisperer which i agree amy lynn really (laughs) liked the o that was in i think the the the, the cigar one, I yes, think that's yes. when I was showing that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And then um, Jen Close says, have you been to an old type foundry? Never. I'd like oh, to, though. Gosh. I'd love to go to, to Hamilton Wood Type up there in Wisconsin. That That's a, a road trip uh, that I've been planning for a long time, but Man, I just don't know when I could make it out there. My, I will go with you. I want to go to that one, too. I have um, books from there, and I just always see things, and I just think it's so... It would be like a one-time kind of thing where, oh, and just to see. I have other friends that have gone, so maybe we can road trip yeah. that one together. Okay, yeah, so. Yeah, we, we could do Creative North next year and we yeah, can book it out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got blurry there for a second. Okay, so because um, we're nearing the end, and I wanted to make sure that I covered a couple more questions. Coming up with new ideas. So a client gives you a brief or they give you kind of an idea, Hey, there's this, what is that next step for you? Um, like with the thing with the muckety, I can't think of what the name is. Muckety muck. Yeah. Yeah. Muckety muck. So they, they give you this, they kind of give you the idea. Then those, you gave them three different options, but where were you before those? Like, what do you do in that first step? Uh, research is always first step to try to find stuff that's in the market that's similar to the product that you're going to do. Make sure what you're going to do is not already done or, Mm. um, and then um, usually after research, like I'll just do a a rough round of preliminary sketches, a lot rougher than that, even just to kind of explore letter styles and layout and composition. And then once I get some that feel like they kind of fit the bill, then I'll dive in and hone it a little bit more and make it a little more polished before I send it off to the client. Like how much Um, time are you spending on that research part? Is that days? Is it weeks? It's not a real long time. I'd say probably just a day to be honest, but it's now it's a day, but it's based on a whole bunch of a lifetime of research that you've been doing. You can kind of pull from other things in your knowledge, right? Yeah, that's true too. Uh, I feel like when I was starting out, I spent a lot more time because I was unfamiliar with certain markets or certain eras and I didn't really know exactly what was right for this or that. So it took a more time to to get to that point. Um, but now I feel like I could get to it fairly quickly. When it's 
when it's branding or a logo design, I usually take a little bit more time because that is like the cornerstone graphic of any company. And I want to make sure that that is distinctly unique and it's not going to overlap anywhere else or come up against another brand that they feel like, oh, this is really close to this. And I don't want to be blindsided by that after the project's over and they already put the sign up and the business is rolling. Like, Right. Yeah. Just try to avoid that headache before it even starts. And even when it comes to like naming products, I got in hot water, the the very, well, not the first, the second font I ever released, I called it Roundhouse because it was based off of train lettering. And I went to like this train station and they had the big roundhouse. I was like, oh, that's a cool name. Uh, well, little did I know that that was a font that Ken Barber and House Industries made 20 years ago and it just wasn't on their website and I didn't know about it. And he sent me a very nice email that he's like, hey, he's like, I'm sure you didn't know this because most people don't remember this font, but we have one that's already copyrighted and taken. And I was like, oh, okay. So I had to rename it, redo all the promo images, but that was just a an early learning lesson, you know, to just do your research first, make sure the name isn't taken. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and because you don't, it might not look like it, but you have to make sure that the naming is different and significant because it is in the same yeah. industry okay so that's that's good to know um burnout or creative block or i don't know if they're different for you or have you dealt with either one of them yes multiple times okay so how i do feel you- like it's it's uh cyclical it kind of mm-hmm. comes and goes i feel like everybody deals with it um and it's 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 different for everybody how they kind of plow through it. I mean, for me, uh, nature kind of resets me, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's going for a hike or a walk or just getting outside of your house away from the computer, away from a screen. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be nature, like like going to the antique stores too. Like it kind of like just spark an idea. You could get an idea from anywhere, whether it's a a menu at a restaurant or the Mm -hmm. sign on the wall, like you could find it in the most unlikely places. Um, but I think the, the best thing to do is remember that it's fleeting and it's temporary and it's just this kind of ephemeral moment that will not be here in a week, maybe. Um, so you, your creativity will come back. Your drive will come back. It's something that you can replenish endlessly if you're driven and committed to it. So, so one other thing that you've done, um, you keep there are these pedals behind you on the couch. Yeah. Right. So tell <laughs> them about that. That's another creative escape, but it's not something that you're um, at least I don't think so. You're making money off of. Right. You're, no, this is very just... much not so. <laughs> so That's tell something them about... I'm losing money on every time I buy a new pedal. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I was younger um, in my teens, I played guitar. Um, I was never in a band that recorded or did shows or anything, but I had friends that we'd go to recording spaces and studios and uh, just mess around and either try to write songs or just cover songs from local bands that we liked. And it was a, a fun outlet. And uh, I kind of lost touch with that over the last 15 years or so. And I picked it back up during the pandemic. And it's just been fun to just sit there and do something that it doesn't have any uh, like monetary uh, outcome to it. Like it doesn't matter if you get it right or you get it wrong. Like you're not going to lose the client or do bad on the project. Like you get to just kind of not think and just enjoy yourself for a bit. And I think clearing your head is important like that sometimes. Yeah. And I also think that you have, you're taking time where you used to would work. I mean, you're very similar. We would work all the day and it was like Mm -hmm. sometimes way into the night you were just trying to get stuff done. You were really, it was exciting and it was fun. You're like, no, I'm good. And I know we hear people say, oh, you need to have some balance. You need to do some other things. And you were doing some other things, but it was still um, you weren't doing other creative outlets like this. Um, so I think that this is I, I really like that you said that it wasn't it's not for money. It's um, it it that's part of the draw to it, that it doesn't have that connection, that it is just a place that you can be free to just play yeah and it's absolutely like no stress no pressure sort of thing like i'm not recording i'm not putting out an album i don't care if the tone's just right or you know i need new strings or whatever it doesn't matter to me like it's just something for fun and that's that's kind of nice when you uh can just 
not be so serious about something for a little bit. So does it help if if burnout is cyclical? Um, does that help to expand the times between burnout? Uh, do you have them less if you're taking care of yourself in this way? I think it does because it's actually been a while for me since I felt like I was in that space. Um, something that my wife and I have started doing over the last couple of years is going to a lot more concerts and shows and go to see comedians, things like that. And uh, just getting out more. I think we kind of took it for granted all these years and then COVID happened and we couldn't do anything, anything. And uh, we're like, yeah, once uh, we can do stuff again and we should really take advantage of that. Um, but yeah, just like, I, I know it's not probably your music, but like go to these metal and hardcore shows and like moshing and, you know, do the stage dives and crowd surfing. Like it's really cathartic and energetic. And it's nice to be in a space like that once in a while where you feel super alive. Um, but yeah, between that playing guitar, I, I got a little bit back into video games too at night once in a while. It's, it's just nice to have your brain flex in a couple different mm. ways instead of thinking about the same thing all the time. Yeah, I think just the rest, the the play, the experimentation, which you can do in music or in video games, or even just when you're dancing in the mosh pit, I guess. I don't know if you really can <laughs> dance in the mosh pit. I, I, I've seen them. They call it hardcore dancing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just far <laughs> away, you know, so I'm too short. I'm in everybody's pits, so I, I stay <laughs> away from those. Um, okay, so one last question. I know we're out of time. But what is one piece of advice that you would have given yourself? I said seven years ago, but let's just say, what would you have given yourself in 2013? So from year one, what's what would you give yourself 10 years ago? I'd say start doing the kind of work you want to do earlier. Um, I feel like for a long time, I was not really taking advantage of my free time or not really showing what I could or wanted to do mm. in my career. Um, so for packaging, for example, I never got a packaging project until I made one for myself. I was asked to join this art show in Kentucky when we lived there. Um, and I made this thing called Tempest Bourbon. It was a fictional bourbon. Uh -huh. And I got it actually printed in real life by Valhalla Studios. They did, you know, letterpress and foiling and die cutting and embossing. They made it really crazy. And uh, I got some nice photos of it and I put it online and I proved to people that I could do it. I'm like, here's what I can do for you. Before that, I had no thing other, nothing other than my word telling them that I could. But when you actually put the proof in front of them, they're like, oh yeah, now I can see it. Okay, we'll hire you to do this. A and proof then, of concept. So that's investing exactly. in yourself a time, but also you had to invest money to get it printed, to make the connection with Valhalla. I mean, you had, there are- It's true. It was a risk. Yeah. But um, even in your, with your, um, y'all's wedding invitation, that was uh, an investment. Obviously it was a great investment, um, but it, you did things other, you could have just gone an easy route, but you chose to do something and then you were able to still use that. Even your business cards, I think, you know, like you've always taken the time to um, invest in your business in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I And I think that we forget that sometimes it's those things that stand out um, because we, maybe it's just, we want to do it, but we can't see it to spend the money to do it. But really it's been a great investment for you. Those self projects have been something that have been able to turn into real work for you. So the packaging work with the Tempest. And I remember mm -hmm. that one. That one was awesome. Um, yep. And, and I'm actually uh, doing this again in a different lane now. Um, what I would really like to do in the coming years is try to combine my two loves of design and music. Um, so I am doing a gig poster, my first gig poster right now. And I've already got like 20 hours into this. This thing is going to be, it's going to take a long time, but I'm again, going to prove that I could do this kind of work. Hmm. And, um, so I'm going to put my all into this one and hopefully it comes out really cool. Um, but it's stylistically a lot different than anything you've seen from me, I think in the past. So, um, it, it's it's stretching in in new ways. Uh, it's a lot of illustration, 
which for the longest time I've said I'm not an illustrator and I want to change that and I want to make that a real thing. So uh, I'm just kind of forcing myself into it. But if I can do cool art for bands I also love, that's the sweet spot. That's the Mm. exact thing I'd love to do. So Mm. that's next, hopefully. I love that. Okay, so that's the what's next. You've told us, I think the piece of advice is critical. Um, And I I think sometimes we just don't believe in ourselves or we don't. um, Why do you think it took so long to do those or release those. Here's the thing that's different about you. I think Jason is that you really do put in all these hours. You learn everything you're going to need to learn. Some people will just put something up and it's just kind of a, kind of a half-ass attempt at the packaging or something. They don't really understand it, but that's where you're different. And that's by you investing the time and the money to get something printed like that and to show that you can do the foil and the everything. I think that that is, very different about you and i think that's where this gig poster stuff will just be amazing as well but what um i can't remember what i asked you but oh why do you think um it it takes longer um for you to um to pour into some of those projects for yourself or why do you think anybody it takes too long to we don't do that i think it's probably comfort and complacency in the work that you already have Mm. like you you get good at something and then you're like okay i could just keep doing this because i keep getting hired for it but i feel like eventually even the the most fun stuff will lose its luster and you'll want to do something else um i've actually got two more projects that i'm i'm hoping to lock down that have been bucket list items for me for a long time Uh, a food truck and a deck of cards. I've always wanted to do those two things. And I think they both might be happening. Um, So it's, it's also like luck and opportunity. It's like when the chance arises, make the most of it and do the best you can with it. Hmm. And then maybe you'll get more. I love just that you had these things that were on your bucket list. Maybe we all need to make a list of five things that we really would love to design or, um, would love to do. So I, and I also am really glad you're illustrating because I think that's fantastic. Okay. So we are going to see a new jasoncarn.com soon. This, uh, the old site is currently still up. When does the new site, when is the hope that the new site will be launched? Tentative date is July 14th. Okay. That's that's the hope. So I got two weeks to to, to wrap it all up. July 14th was, is not flag day. Flag day, I think, was June 14th. Okay, so Jason Karn, C-A-R-N-E. Jason's just J-A-S-O-N-C-A-R-N-E.com. If you're listening or watching later, this will be the first link underneath. Um, Jason, is there any other way that uh, is a good way for people to get in contact with you? Um, yeah, I'm active on both Facebook and Instagram, just under my name, Jason Karn. Uh, you could find me there. And if you ever wanted to just reach out direct, you could hit me at work at jasoncarn.com. We could talk about projects. We could just talk shop. I'm always, uh, always down to talk. Uh, it doesn't have to be about a potential project or anything like that. If you just want advice or if you want to run something by me or bounce ideas off of me, I'm good with that too. That's awesome. Thank you. You're always so such a pleasure and you're so full. I took tons of notes and I can't wait to see the gig poster. I can't wait to see the food truck and I can't wait to see the deck of cards. And I just can't wait to see what else gets on your list. And it was very inspiring for me. And we'll just have to get back to our yearly uh, design recharger creatives ignite episode because I miss you. And it's it's just good to see you. And you're always doing such amazing um high caliber, excellent work. And I just love how you see typography. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying all that. I love talking to you too. It's always nice to see you. It's great to see you. I can't do, wait. To- do I hold the record by the way? Six times the most? This is, um, maybe we'll, I'll have to check, but we just need to get on a regularly yearly with Jason Carton, <laughs> I think. Um, but it is, you are definitely one of the most um, when we were doing this, I think you were the first person I contacted because I was like, oh, we've got to get you back on. Where are they now? Because it had been way too long. So 
anyway, I am super glad. And just thank you for coming to many shows that you're not on. So I always appreciate you just being here and being part of the community. Yeah, of course. You always got good guests. I always like listening to you guys. Well, thank you, Jason. And just so you all know, this is the last episode until August. Um, I take July off and I am working on some other fun little things. So um, stay tuned to the YouTube channel. And I we were going to continue on with this series in August. I've already got a few guests lined up. I'll be finishing up this series and then we'll move on to the next thing, which hopefully will be exciting and interesting. And if you are interested in Power Station or a small group um, mastermind, it's open for these are really for the people who are here live because it will probably be closed by the time this gets released. But July 11th is when it uh, opens. Uh, it starts. So it's already open now. And if you want to learn more, it's just creatives ignite dot com slash coaching slash power station. Um, and if you want to learn more, it's just a small group and we you pick a project and then you get to work on that project or goal and we hold your feet to the fire. You just get to share your progress. And it's those things that you always put on the back burner, kind of like those self projects. Um, anyway, so if anybody's interested, I still have some spots left. There's some day group spots and night group spots, but I just wanted to tell you all about it. So, Jason, thank that, you. That thank sounds you. great. Thanks. Don't it, underestimate the uh, the power of community <laughs> holding you accountable for finishing something. That yeah. helps a lot to get it to the finish line. Especially so it'd be great it, to be part of something like that. Especially if you're doing it for yourself, because we tend to put our clients first, right? And we don't mm -hmm. do, um, or I do this. I know a lot of other people do too. They tend to they have their portfolio on the back burner and their site and their testimonials and their whatever, or maybe they're doing a Kickstarter and they're like, oh, I don't have time to do this. Or it's a children's book they've always wanted to do or whatever it is. But we tend to put that stuff on the back burner. But just like what you've said, those things have been the things that have made a difference in the trajectory of your career and of where you wanted to go. So now you're working on illustrations more. And it's like, well, if we don't ever work on these things, we will never get better. So I just like having a group that will help me and them do that. And it's just nice to, because they get to share with other people where they're an expert at, and then it's just safe. So it's really small. It's like nine people in each group. So it's very intimate and it's just cool. So yeah, that sounds really nice. All right. Well, guys, I will see you guys in August and not next week, but the other episodes will be releasing. So you'll get these on YouTube. Anyway, Jason, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>